More people than the entire population of Ireland are in need of immediate aid in Somalia because of the worst drought in over 40 years. The Horn of Africa is likely to have its sixth consecutive failed rain season, leading to poverty and starvation and death. Our reporter Josh Crosby travelled to Somalia with Throkra last week to see the work being carried out there and he's now back and he's with him in the studio. Josh, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, uh, where did you go? What did you see? Well, what I saw over the past week, I don't think will ever leave me, Pat. It was an unforgettable trip, such an eye-opening experience to see the conditions these people are up against and how it's impacting their lives. So my first introduction to how volatile the situation is there and how everyone is just living in a constantly evolving environment there is that the day we landed, the whole itinerary has to be flipped around in terms of where we were meant to be going and staying. So not only is the country under severe drought, which is leading to millions of internally displaced people, but there's also ongoing conflict on the ground between different clans and groups. So violence broke out in the Dullo area where we were meant to be flying to. So for safety concerns, we ended up going to the Luke area of Somalia. And the plan was we'd get to Dullo later in the week. There was flights booked and all, but the conflict sparked again. So a decision was made to stay put. So we flew on one of these UN planes. Now these are 12-seater planes, like a van with wings, basically. You're taking off and landing on these airstrips made of sand and gravel. But as you're flying over the land, the ground can tell you a story in itself of what is going on there. A red burnt colour and then loads of these vain looking channels just scorched into the earth which were once rivers and streams. These have all dried up with the heat and the lack of rain. So what you're left with is these abandoned villages, little family camps of huts just left as the people have to leave in search of survival. This is known as the walk. Families, some with 8, 10, 12 children will walk anything up to 100 kilometres. Some have had to bury their children on the side of the road during the journey and then keep moving on. Some women are raped and, and babies are born. The, the internally displaced people are on this walk to the nearest hub of protection. So certain towns have become destination points and there'll be IDP camps set up for these people to live and for their health to be examined. Now the town of Luke has become one of these towns mostly due to the presence of the river Juba. So this obviously supplies water and with that comes life. Now it sounds like you couldn't really understand the reality of the situation unless you're living it or at least seeing it so you landed in Luke what happened then who did you meet? Okay so these IDP camps I mentioned there are 12 of these set up around the town of Luke and they would have over 50,000 people living in them Um, where we went was called the Boile IDP camp there were over 800 families here and this is when it really struck me where we actually were so you're driving up to the camp with an armed escort everywhere you go but you're travelling up these sand dirty tracks and there are carcasses and carcasses of donkeys, camels, goats, just scattered. Rib cages sticking up in the air with plastic bottles caught in between them. Uh, The people can barely feed themselves, so it's expected the animals will die. Uh, When you then get to the nutrition centre at the camp, and Pat, the only way to describe this is chaotic. You've women lining up, queuing with their babies to see the nurses and community health workers. There are outreach teams that go out throughout the camp and the town, but when the babies are brought here, they're put in these plastic basins. Something here at home you might see laundry in or washing plates in a round plastic basin. These are held together with ropes, which are then hoisted up and it's hanging them with an old-fashioned scales, like like a clock. They're Mm -hmm. weighed here and you're standing in the middle of this room. There are dozens of women, the noise levels, crying, shouting, mothers trying to make the queue 
queue before the service closes for the night and you're in the middle of it all and the staff will be using a measuring tape then just a strap of paper this will go around the child's arm to measure the circumference of their upper arm and sadly Pat many of these children they'll be in the red zone which signifies the child is severely malnourished Now uh, you're in the whole of your health um, Mm. so walking through the camp and looking at these malnourished children and they looking at you they're looking at you yes so that was on my mind I was conscious of that going out there as well that to them you're just something completely out of this world altogether they've never witnessed anything like you a lot of them so we walked through the camp I even kicked a ball to these kids and when I say a ball it was a bunch of rags bound together in the shape of a ball I kicked it back and forth a few times and you can then see their resilience in the middle of this chaos devastation a ball is bringing a sense of distraction and the children are half giggling to one another as I was saying who is this stranger I'm white I'm big but reddish hair so to them something they've never seen before. So, so we walk through the camp and we meet with Trokra's Lent family. So the charity will pick a family every year and where they are will be the focus of the Lenten appeal. So we go into their shelter. Now this is a hut made of branches, even little twigs, the size of a small shed, smaller than two car spaces. And there are 10 of them, eight children and both parents living in this hut. There's a small chicken walking around inside. They were once a farming, a pastoralist family, but their 200 goats died and then they had to make this walk. I'm going to play a clip now of Trokra as country director for Somalia, Paul Healy. Paul has been working for Trokra with over 25 years and we talk outside this family's hut about the current crisis and I got his thoughts on what needs to happen next. It's 40 degrees, it's kind of hot. These recently arrived internally displaced came literally with the clothes on their backs. They had nothing and coming starving. And they pitched themselves here just outside Luke Town looking for services. So Trokra has a, an existing health and nutrition programme that has been there for 30 years. But what we did in these camps, as you can see around, we established some basic hygiene. So put toilets in, we put a water point so people would have access to water, mm-hmm. we put tanks up. They have hopes for their children, but as you can see, it's a wasteland. Um, there's no rain. Uh, we're facing into a sixth failed rainy season. It's catastrophic. So longer term solutions are also needed. Livelihood solutions. They're the Lind family. They're yeah. going to be seen around the world on yeah. boxes and posters. Yourself, your appeal now, like how vital are the funds? The message is simple. We can't abandon these people. We abandon them by the amount of damage that we've done to the environment and this is the result of this and we have got to work with them to change it so by our own personal practices at home but also by macro solutions for communities like this we need big solutions and we don't have a lot of time Throker is country director for Somalia Paul Healy um, so you, that's the IDP camp uh, that you saw there are a number of other services on the ground as well there are Pat so, so these camps are the internally displaced first point of contact once they reach Luke they get given a small section where they'll pitch their hut the other men living close to you your neighbours if you like they, they'll help the newly arrived build their hut then the hopes are that eventually they will start doing some sort of business to give them a livelihood selling vegetables at the market or possibly start buying a few animals again but we left the boy IDP camp and headed for a new farming project near the town. Now, the agroecology programme is a sustainable way of farming and uses water from the nearby Juba River. There was a workshop taking place the day we arrived with local men and women and the idea is that women living in the IDP camps will have their own plots, they'll grow bananas, papayas and they'll be able to feed their families and sell their produce. The the farms are made up 
around 70-80% of women from the camps and then local residents of Luke will have access to plots as well but it was great to see a project that is bringing new life back into the area and the women running the classes were telling me that there's been a great buy-in from the participants to, to adapt to new ways of farming through the irrigation system. Now it sounds like that could be transformative for the town but the, the children um, are they going to school because education obviously is one of the solutions to help them in the in the future. Yes Pat so this is one of the points Paul Healy feels very strongly about so we went to Tala Primary School Troker runs 20 schools in Somalia where the charity is giving access to education to more than 8,400 children but the schools are much more than just reading and writing learning lessons from a book so the students will be given two meals a day girls will get sanitary kits and the whole routine gives a sense of structure and protection to their lives of course there's great sadness throughout the community but it was great to meet with the children who were energetic and happy there were some permanent buildings at the school but a lot of the classes were made up with sticks and branches similar to the huts at the camp but going into the class there was the whispering to one another down the back especially when they saw me all smiles like meeting a class of young students here at home you'll have your quiet ones loud ones the odd messer I think think that must be an international trait in any classroom around the world I was chatting to two of the teachers and these guys are young as well but one was telling me he supports Liverpool and the other guy he said he supports Arsenal so there's a bit of friendly banter there between the two of them but one of the main aims of school life is to get girls to stay in education for as long as they can because some of them will end up being married young and then children come along even mothers at 14 would not be uncommon so so the idea is to get them educated if possible to, yes. to avoid that yes uh, doomsday scenario and to stay in school yeah. to stay in school so if they can get educated it gives them more independence and just on the point of women and the treatment they received this brings me to healthcare so we went to the Luke District Hospital now it's not a huge hospital by any means but it's a busy busy spot so likewise with the nutrition centre at the camp there's queues of women and their children lining up to be seen by the nurses we went through the stabilisation centre where the severely malnourished babies are brought we met with some of the patients and a translator was able to communicate for us I asked one of the women and was she afraid of the day coming where she would not be able to leave or she, when she would leave the hospital because that would give her like a sense of protection getting fed every day but she did want to leave because she wanted to go out and fend for her children that were back in the hut we went to the TB centre in the hospital the day we were there there were three cases of TB the day before we were there there were two cases the dedicated centre was actually built with money donated through Redfarnham Parish here in Dublin but something that really took us all back was the attitudes to women in the culture there so if a woman needs an operation or any procedure which could possibly be about to save her life. The doctors and staff then need to get permission from first her father then they'll make it clear with the woman's husband's uncle or brother. We'll take a listen now to Dr Abdulaziz Osman who's the clinical coordinator with Trokra and he explains the difficulties with this and how it can literally be a matter of life or death. Sometimes what happens is that uh, the father, even the relatives, can actually uh, refuse the consent. It happened to me recently that a lady who had been having labor in her own home has gotten difficulties in labor and then she was brought to the hospital and then I reviewed and then we said that this lady now, she requires an emergency cesarean section. The father uh, declines it. In fact, he even gets out of the hospital and says, I don't allow it. We have taken time to call his brother, the uncle, uh, the mother, uh, the husband, to make sure that we want to make sure that we save this woman and her baby. So it can sometimes be that uh, time consuming and sometimes you don't have the, the luxurious time. You have to also convince them and you have to also make sure that they understand the con- to consent for that uh, cesarean section. So what happened in that case? What was the end result? The end result was we've, we've convinced to look for an alternative pathway and so we have called his brother and then we have called the mother and then the husband to make sure that they consent. 
percent, and then we have operated the mother, and both her and her baby has been uh, operated successfully. You can face those obstacles or challenges in terms of even saving a woman's life. The healthcare staff have been met with aggression from the father, the men in the family. Yes, sometimes, sometimes it does happen that uh, the relatives can tell you we do not allow and we do not consent our daughter to be operated and if you do so at, at, you have to do it at your own risk we haven't had incidences of uh, uh, violence from the community of, over the last i think uh, 10 years or so but it has been the case previously those th things were very common where even someone with a gun could even come to the theater and tell you you have to do this for me or you have to do that the male dominance in our society sometimes jeopardizes the woman's health that's Dr. Abdul Aziz Osman, Throker's clinical director in Somalia. Well, now you're home, Josh, uh, back to the comforts of modern living. But the work, of course, is continuing even as we speak right across Africa. Mm -hmm. um, what do the charities, the NGOs on the ground want as a priority? Well, these operations are not cheap to run, that's for sure. So not only is there drought leading to poverty, but there's also the devastation caused by the ongoing conflict. So, for example, in September last year alone, 101,000 people were displaced due to conflict and insecurity in Somalia. So when you're trying to bring aid to these areas, there are major costs in terms of security, access, getting the items to where they need to be. So obviously funding is the big one that these organisations need. So, of course, people can donate. All the details can be found on troker.org. But it's not just the charitable donations that are needed. The aid groups are calling on the Irish government and many other countries to follow through on their commitment to spending 0.7% of their gross national income on official development assistance. Now, to be fair, the Irish government did allocate over 1.2 billion in the 2023 budget for international development, the highest amount ever provided for by the government. But right now, funding is the big one to help and bring in aid. But I think what I've personally learned from this trip and something a lot of us could benefit from is just a better understanding, a glimpse of how millions of people in the world are living, what they are facing, walking for weeks in search of a water source, burying children who are dying of hunger because the milk and meat they would have gotten from their animals have died as well. Then if they are fortunate enough to make it to a developed country, that they can be abused, whether it's taken advantage of or racially abused. So I think we do get to see their circumstances and, and what they're up against can be such a valuable experience to bring with us into our own lives to give us some perspective. And you certainly have got that perspective, Josh, and you've produced a series of reports from Somalia which can be found on our website. Uh, when will they be up? Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the already two up, up. this will be up and then there'll be a documentary in the coming weeks as well. Josh Crosby, uh, thank you very much for joining us.